Ladies and gentlemen, bats and ghouls, it's time to celebrate the spookiest time of year. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, in just five minutes, we will present our nighttime fireworks production, Happy Hallowishes, a grim grinning ghost spooktacular in the sky. This is Halloween, this is Halloween, pumpkins scream in the dead of night. This is Halloween, everybody make a scene, trick or treat, till the neighbor's gonna die of fright. As the moon climbs high on the dead oak tree, spooks arrive for the midnight spree. My friends, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 424. I'm here to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience and bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with this podcast, videos, blog, live events, live broadcasts, and so much more. You can find everything over at www.radio.com and subscribe to the podcast in iTunes. So while the Disney parks bring many classic fairy tales and stories to life, there are many films beyond the obvious that, once you see them, will make you recognize and appreciate many of the amazing details, tributes, and hidden treasures scattered throughout the parks and resorts. So this week, we're going to discuss some of the movies you need to watch before you visit Walt Disney World, including some that you may have never seen or heard of before. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week and pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show for some updates and announcements, including our next WW Radio Meet of the Month in Walt Disney World during Wine and Dine weekend. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. When Walt Disney envisioned Disneyland, he set out to create a place not just where parents and children could have fun together, but more importantly, he was able to bring his stories to life. Because frustrated by the, the limitations of simple drawings in two dimensions, he wanted something that was immersive, interactive, fun, and memorable. And in Fantasyland, the, the fairy tales of Alice in Wonderland and Peter Pan and Sleeping Beauty and Pinocchio and so many others came to life and we became part of the show. From dark rides to shows to character interactions, familiar scenes from our favorite films were recreated for us as we were able to step foot into the world which we had enjoyed on screen. And so in order to truly appreciate those attractions in Disneyland and Walt Disney World, it certainly helps to be familiar with the films upon which they are based. So this week, we're going to look at the movies that you need to watch before visiting Walt Disney World. And joining me this week is a man who doesn't just love Walt Disney World, but his movies as well. He is a fellow geek, and he is Pete 
Tadone. Pete, welcome, buddy. Hey, man. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on. It's uh, it's good to to have you on here, and it's true. Like you, you love Disney, right? Like you got married in Disney in like a secret location, like a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> to your wife, who is also a super nerd as well. Yeah, we actually, uh, actually, the building that we got married in, it's in Hollywood Studios. And if if I'm looking at everything correctly, that building's not going to be there when Toy Story <laughs> Mania, when Toy Story Land comes in. So it's it's great though. Yeah, we we got married three years ago, two years ago, two years ago. Oof. You you want to get that down pretty quickly? Yeah, <laughs> it's all right. She's behind, like, she, like she's behind me, but she's got you know like her headphones on and stuff because she doesn't want to hear the show yet. So I'm safe. Um, we got married there a couple of years ago, and yeah, we one of the big things that we connected on was Disney. And for me, even beyond Disney, I've always been a massive movie nerd and, you know, film school and have done a couple of short films and whatnot. And it's always been something that's driven my curiosity, the how, you know, how did they do that? That was really the turning point was watching Jaws. And after being scared for five years of watching it as a kid, having that moment of, wait, why am I scared? I know it's mm. fake. And that that's what did that. And then the same thing happened when I went to Disney World. Uh, at a certain moment, you look around and you say, why do I keep coming back here? You know, I know everything that's here for the most part. And what is it that keeps bringing me back? And it's the storytelling. And it's all about storytelling for me. Yeah, and, and listen, we could do an entire show about Jaws, even though this is a Disney. Arguably... <laughs> Arguably one of, if not the best directed films of all time is Jaws. Yeah, it's my favorite film of all time, which at the same, you know, it's not the best movie of all time, but it is my personal favorite. Uh, actually, if uh, fans of Star Wars Rebels, the first season of the new episode, there's a little Jaws reference no, in there. For oh, everybody. see, now I have to go and watch it just for the uh, yeah, just for the Jaws uh, reference. So. Got to look for a little Jaws. Even a Lord of the Rings reference is in there. Actually, a direct line is lifted from Lord <laughs> of the Rings and delivered by one of the characters. So, yeah. So we met um, earlier this year at the uh, the eighth anniversary, and hopefully, you guys will uh, soon be fellow. Floridians as well, but I actually looked back. You know, the first email I think I ever got from you was about your your secret wedding, the secret location of your wedding, where you didn't even tell your guests. Um, but over the years, you've sent me some pretty interesting emails, right? You sent some some great uh, update ideas to the Great Movie Ride when we had done that podcast a while back, um, and really been sort of pitching some different kind of ideas for shows to do. And this is the one that really sort of struck me about the movies that I think you need to watch before visiting Walt Disney World. And when I thought of that, I think we don't talk, we didn't talk about this ahead of time. But for me, see, this is what I do to Tim. I make up the rules as I go along. When, yeah, I, when I thought about the, these rules, <laughs> um, when I thought about this in my own mind, I, I will tell you, I thought about these are movies that I think that you can watch at home with your family for movie night as you get ready for your trip you can watch in the car ride or the plane ride down but what i chose to do pete and and if this if you did the opposite that's fine is i chose to avoid the obvious right and i think i mentioned some of the movies in there like we could easily say go watch cinderella toy story you know uh, peter pan and little mermaid and sort of go through those things because of the direct tie-ins but i wanted to really highlight some of the more maybe obscure movies, and more importantly, highlight some of 
maybe some of the hidden references and why they're there so that you understand what you're seeing when you go to the parks? No, actually, I kind of fall in line with you a bit. There is one obvious one I threw in there, but it's because of it's a very uh, specific instance where one, I mean, as soon as I say this, you're going to know what I'm talking about. One inspired the other, then inspired the other. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But yeah, same for me. I kind of stood on the outskirts a little bit and only really went into the populist pool for just a couple because, yeah, as you say, Cinderella's Castle. I mean, yeah, I it helps. Great. If you're familiar with Cinderella. But I, I think that you get the story either way. You know, you don't have to know Peter Pan to ride Peter Pan's flight and get the story. You know, you're going to get everything in that attraction. And Disney does a great job of that. So for the most part. You can go in kind of blind to the the classic Disney library. And then there's some films just scattered about around and even some, you know, a little more recent that can give you an insight if you kind of just look past the veil just a little bit. Right. And look, I also think that most people who are probably listening to this have watched the essential films, right? Chances are, if you haven't seen Toy Story or Finding Nemo or Peter Pan or Lion King or Beauty and the Beast, then you need to reboot and go back. So I'm going to assume (laughs) that you've seen most of those. Again, I think that you're right. I think that we may touch on one or two that maybe you either need to watch or rewatch or maybe reference something uh, in the parks from the film that maybe people didn't see before. Um, but before we we started, you know, you said, you know, I'm really curious to hear your list, Lou. Well, Pete, I'm going to turn it around. You are my guest. I, I'm going to let you go first because I am very curious to hear which is first on your list. And again, these are no in particular order, but uh, the first one out of the gate. What do you think is the first movie people need to watch before they go to visit Walt Disney World? Well, I think you lead into it with your intro. I think the first thing towards getting the most out of Walt Disney World is learning about the man. So the very first thing that I thought of was Walt, the man behind the myth, which was a documentary on uh, Walt Disney narrated by Dick Van Dyke. And you can get this on DVD. I believe you can stream it as well a couple of times. If you've ever been on One Man's Dream and you've watched the, the film at the end, which is narrated by Julie Andrews, this documentary is pretty much the director's cut of that. It's a, it's a much expanded version that focuses on the lighter side, I would say, uh, to Walt and everything. But it's the perfect primer to learn about Walt Disney himself. As you've said multiple times in previous shows, there is that worry sometimes where does Walt get lost and become – Uh, Somebody who doesn't really exist anymore, like a Colonel Sanders or, you know, something like that. Do people still know that Walt Disney, that statue, that's an actual guy. And he is the reason that all of this got built. And Roy, uh, I think it's very important to remember that. So this documentary is light, but it's informative. And it puts me in the mood to want to go to Disney World. It absolutely actually really wants to put me in the mood to go to Disneyland, which 
full, you know, fully up front. I've yet to go to. We we have plans really? to go. And yeah, we we have plans to go in a year and a half. Oh, you know what, though? I have been in the Vatican. And you said last <laughs> night that you, that was one of your things. So I've been in the Vatican, but I haven't been in the Disney Vatican, which is Disneyland. <laughs> the Disney Vatican. <laughs> so I'll, I'll connect that, that, you know, that line initially. But yeah, the first thing that came to my mind right off the bat was Walt, the man behind the myth. I think it's a a must watch for Disney fans. And I think it's uh, something that really informs people who are just not familiar with the actual guy. That's really interesting. Like I, that is not what I expected. And I love the fact that you went the documentary route because I didn't think about that at all. Right. I didn't think about that. And and as you said that, I was like, Oh, and I'm not going to potentially take any from you, but I started thinking about other documentaries. Like, yeah, you should want quick question. Do you have any other documentaries on your list? I do. Okay, so if you don't mention some of these, I, I want to come back to them because I'm like, yeah, you should watch A, B, and C. These other uh, these other films. I went in in a very different direction than the documentaries, okay. and now I'm disappointed that I did because I think that was a really good one. Um, I went right to probably the cream of the crop, the Country Bears from 2002. <laughs> I think it's re- what. No, sorry. I think my <laughs> Skype is about to disconnect. Listen, sorry. Haley Joel Osment was just brilliant in the. I'm kidding. I am kidding. Um, <laughs> I hope people didn't hit stop on their. Uh, I, I will tell you. I left off the 2002 uh, Country Bears and the 2003 Haunted Mansion. Um, that actually can go on the list of movies you have to avoid in order to enjoy Walt Disney World. Uh, you know, we we wanted the Haunted Mansion to be so good. Uh, I'm like, it's Eddie Murphy, man. Like, it's Rob Minkoff. Like, this is going to be... Wait, what? Yeah. I'm hoping that that the reboot... I'm hoping that the reboot does, in fact, get made. Um, You know, I mean, look, the the mansion and and country bears are certainly things that you could watch with your kids, but uh, not first on my list. So Um, what is first on your list? I'm really curious now. I want to know where where your mind went to first. So I, I don't know why this continue and, and you know, we didn't limit this to a certain number because my list kept on growing and growing and growing, much like my top tens always do. <laughs> but the first one that came to my list is one that I admittedly have not seen in years, but I need to go back and watch again. Run, Johnny, run. You need to go see Johnny Tremaine. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Right. Like Obscura, right? So Johnny Tremaine was a film. It was a live action film from 1957. It was uh, was based on a a book from the 40s, a a fictional name, a a fictional book by Esther Forbes. It was directed by Robert Stevenson. And it was originally made for for television, but they released it for theaters. Um, And this is one of the things that Walt knew that that TV was eventually going to be in color and he, he filmed it. Um, in color, even though it was originally broadcast uh, in black and white. And it's the story (laughs) of this silversmith uh, apprentice um, during um, the the colonial times at the time of of the Boston Tea Party, and and he meets Paul Revere, and he's recruited by the Sons of Liberty. And there are all these notable historical events that lead up to the American Revolution, like the Boston Tea Party and Paul Revere's Ride, um, Concord, that uh, are depicted in this film. And you're going, Mangello, what's wrong with you, man? Like, why do I need to see this when I go to Walt Disney World? Because when you go to Liberty Square, there are so many references to Johnny Tremaine 
and the, the, the actual historical events that took place. And I, and I say this with all due respect and deference to my grammar and high school teachers. I learned so much about a real American history while researching the audio tour of Liberty Square that I was amazed at how much real history comes from there, but how many also references to some of those things you could see in Johnny Tremaine. And when I take people through the parks and I show them that Southern Live Oak, right, the uh, the, the tree that is in the, the, the Liberty Tree in the center of Liberty Square and the 13 Lanterns, I talk about its real history in terms of where it was found on property in Walt Disney World, its historical significance and the story of how the tree was brought there, and the connection to American history, right, and and how these liberty trees were found and the lanterns were hung there using the the uh, front porch lantern of the house where the secret meetings were going to be, and that it was featured in the Johnny Tremaine film. But also, as you go farther down sort of the, the main street of Liberty Square where the, the uh, Christmas shop currently stands, originally that was three separate shops, and one of those... Uh, was run by Jay Tremaine, proprietor, who obviously <laughs> was the, right? And it was Johnny Tremaine's, it was the silversmith shop. And they actually sold, you know, sterling silver spoons and tea sets and bowls and candelabras and all the things that you really wanted to bring home from your Walt Disney World vacation. Um, <laughs> just like the antiques you could buy next door or um, Madame Lafitte's perfumery. But I, I love the film. Look, we, we talk all the time about how Walt Disney loved America. He was such a, a patriot. He loved and I think felt an obligation to teach people, um, not just you know children, but teach people about American history. I think the film does that. I think the film has a lot of connections to Walt, the, the man, like you said, as well as you watch this film, and I think you'll have a new appreciation for Liberty Square. And I think also something that to, to notice about that film itself is the director, because uh, the, the director, whose name is Robert Stevenson, he is pretty much Disney royalty. If you <laughs> if you go to his his list of films, it is it's unbelievable. I'll just read off a couple for you. Um, one of them, who knows? Maybe you'll hear later. Maybe you won't. <laughs> uh, it starts off with Darby O'Gill and the Little People, a hugely underrated film starring a ridiculously young Sean Connery. <laughs> and going from there, you've got Mary Poppins, That Darn Cat, uh, Bedknobs and Broomsticks, The Love Bug. Old I Yeller? Mean, yeah, well, oh, yeah, which that's sad. Oh, um, dies, dies at the thing. end. <laughs> Definitely Spoiler dies alert. at the end. Spoiler alert on a 50-year-old film. Sorry, guys. But, yeah, he's got such a Disney history behind him as well. And, yeah, it, it informs you of one of the lands, which is very important. You know, it, it kind of ties into what I would say my next one is, too, which is great. Nice. All right. So um, for me, I was thinking in, in the way of, you know, you were thinking the lands in Magic Kingdom, you know, where where can you find some of the roots of, of those of those lands? And Main Street is, you know, the first thing you see and all that kind of stuff. And we know the the very close connection for Walt it being, you know, turn of the century, supposed to be Marceline or, you know, any kind of small town around the turn of the century. And. I'm going to cheat a little bit here because there are two <laughs> films. Um, I'm getting right into it right away. There are two films that when you watch them, you get a very Main Street feel. The, 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 the first one right off the bat, though, I would say is Summer Magic. 
I love and hate you all at the same time. Just why well, is, is this on yours? <laughs> it is was next on, on my list. Yep, it was okay. Well, good. No, then that's we can, awesome. We can yeah. talk about it together. This is just. It's got some moments of odd language here and there, um, but it's just a great Disney almost history book because you have so many things that are fit. Number one, Burl Ives is there, which anything with Sam the Snowman is going to win. <laughs> it is a Sherman Brothers showcase with you know the music that's in there. And more than anything, it's about a farm town and it's it's surrounded by a train track. There's mentions of of uh, Lincoln as president. There's the desire to leave the big city and live on the country on a farm. Uh, they even play Flitterin, you know, which you'll hear now up and down Main Street. You know, this this is the film that it debuted in to, to my knowledge. And even the opening music, that ragtime music that happens during the credits, this this is all Main Street. And there is a Main Street in the film. They don't call it specifically that. But when you look at it, you're like, wow, okay, this is a realistic version of the dream version that we have in Magic Kingdom. And this all, to me, just yells out Walt because, again, you know, going to, you know, many interviews and whatnot that he said, that time in Marceline was very, very special to him. And I think that through learning more about him, as he got older and as the build as the company grew, there was that desire to almost go back to where things were more intimate and more small. Mm-hmm. You know, you always get that kind of hint on him a little bit. And that was a little highlighted in the the PBS documentary that you you did the um, the interview and stuff with just a couple of weeks ago. And that is one of the huge backbones of this movie is to leave the big city behind and just embrace the small town love and the community that you get on this kind of a farmland. And I think you're right. I mean, the first thing I thought about it too was, was Walt, right? It's interesting how we keep going back to Walt right off the bat with these films, because I think this was, it represented Walt's idealistic romantic view of small town America But the other reason why is because there are so many references to this film on Main Street USA, right? So quickly going back, it not only does have Burl Ives, it has Haley Mills, right? Yes. With like, you know, the golden girl, not like golden girls, but the golden girl (laughs) for so many years, uh, you know, during the 60s. But throughout Main Street, and look, I love Main Street USA, and when I did my audio tour I was frustrated that I was limited to 78 minutes because that's what fit on a CD and when I've given (laughs) tours I sometimes have lost track of time and I'm two hours I'm still on Main Street USA and people like dude there's not even an attraction here and I'm like no there is right because Burl Ives character was Osh Popham he was the the uh sort of the, the the town general store proprietor he was the carpenter he sang ugly bug ball and there's a reference to him at the emporium and if you go Is to the there? Empor- yeah, so if you walk to the Emporium, God, I'm giving away all the good stuff. If you walk into the Emporium <laughs> from the corner at Town Square, there are two picture windows on either side of the doorway, and on the bottom it says Osh Popham, proprietor. Oh, and I'm that's like, great. Did-? and I always ask people, where's that from? And they're like, I have no idea. I'm like, Burl Lives, Haley Mills. I'm like, we got nothing. <laughs> Take us to Space Mountain. Um, and it used to be that the Emporium, before it's gone through its many updates and changes and addition of a lot more merchandise racks in it, mm. really used to look like the Popham family, you know, worked the store downstairs and lived upstairs. And there was pictures of the kids on the wall and the family at Christmas. And it really gave you the sense that it was the Popham's store. It was that sort of that, that you know, 
uh, Cornerstone General Store. Um, you mentioned the music. The Sherman Brothers did a t- Buddy Baker did the score. Yeah, he love. actually did the score. Yes. Yeah, and, and you can always, you can usually st- I think you can still hear uh, "Beautiful Beulah," um, and I think "Summer Magic," the the title tune. I still think you can hear on Main Street. But if you go across the street, and I touch on this briefly in uh, in a video I did a Disney in a minute video I did not too long ago. If you go to the Chapeau Hat Shop right next to Tony's Town Square, according to story, and it's not sort of laid out for you, it's owned by the Carey Sisters, and the Carey Sisters were characters in the film, but if you look at the sign outside, the street address is number 63, and that's the year that the film was released. Yes. Oh, that's great. I didn't right? know that. That's really cool. Well, sort of connecting all the dots there. So, yeah. I mean, there, there is a backstory to the Emporium and the Confectionery. Unfortunately, a lot of those have changed and got lost, but it really does kind of tie into the carries and the film directly. And I, you know what, too? I think it's you know, it was one of those film pieces that they were making that the whole family, and I think still to this day, you know, you can you can pop in that film now that's however many decades old and watch it with your family because it is just one of those fun, simple, family kind of, you know, sing-along type movies. Yeah, and, you know, sometimes when you go back and you look at uh, older films, you'll get some very stagey acting I guess is a nice way of putting it in films. But I actually really thought that the acting in this, Haley Mills and Burl Ives in particular, was really actually kind of good. And not in in an ironic sense or anything like that. Like, watching it, I genuinely thought, oh, wow, they really cared about this film. There's a lot of care in this film. There's a lot of nice cinematography in the film. It's not a simple film by any means, even though the story is very right there for you. Right. There's there's a lot going on as far as what they're trying to convey over to the audience. So I, it, I think it sticks. And didn't I she again get, didn't um, I, wasn't this the one that Haley Mills got a, a Golden Globe nomination for? I I don't know. I can look. I'm going to say super yes. Quick. I'm going to yeah, yes. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to say say it with conviction. Yes, this is the film <laughs> that Haley Mills received a Golden Globe nomination for. I think Burl Ives needs to win everything. <laughs> really does. So wait, you said this was one of two. Main Street related films? Yeah, I think, and I, I will say, I think the second one is even more interesting due to when it was released, which was 1948. So this is pre Disneyland and everything. And Burl Hives is in it again. Uh, this is uh, so dear to my heart. Nice. Which uh, Burl Ives and also Bobby Driscoll, who later would voice Peter Pan. This is a really interesting film because it's a live action animation mix. It has the classic storybook opening, you know, that we saw in Snow White and Sleeping Beauty and all that. But it happens in an attic with an old scrapbook. And again, it's a farm town that features a railroad that runs through it. And there's a main street. And it's it's all about, you know, understanding that the community and your family is more important above all. And to me, this is Walt and Marceline. Like you could almost, I don't know if he owned a goat, if he ever (laughs) took care of a goat. But if he did, it wouldn't, it really wouldn't surprise me at all. So, so dear to my heart and Summer Magic, very, very close cousins when you watch them, especially if you watch them back to back, because I did uh, just over the last couple of days to refresh. And they are so close cousins, but you'll notice like, okay, this is Main Street. This is all leading, you know, this all has little bleeds of Main Street um, that add up to an interesting picture when you put them together. 
I dig the fact that you watch these as in prep. You get a call. <laughs> I, I had to. I love. And you know what else I, I like about this too? And I think it's really I, I like how you sort of grouped these two together. Um what I like about this are not just the people that you see on screen, but the people that are behind the camera. And what I mean by uh, that is that people like Ken Anderson and Mark Davis and Ted Sears are people that worked on this film. And those are normally names that you don't necessarily associate with some of the live action stuff. You think about Mark Davis in terms of the animated and, and you know, Cinderella and Maleficent and, and uh, you know, some of the, uh, the, the attractions. But these are ones that they that they worked on. And I think it's neat that that some of their influences are found in the film as well. Yeah, it it seems like such a group film. That that's that's again this you know kind of goes towards the smaller studio approach that maybe you know wasn't around so much in '48 anymore. But this seemed like one of those. Like it was a scaled down of what the company could have done, you know, at that time in order to get more buzz and what you know more whatnot. But this seemed like a very quiet film. As opposed to trying to blow the doors off everybody with this, you know, this brand new idea and really trying to wow audiences. This was a very home film. And that's why it sticks out. And again, this is what, seven years before Disneyland opens. So, you know, that, you know, wheels are already turning towards that movement. And then this film comes out and it it spells out Main Street for you. And there's a reference to this film specifically on Main Street USA. And this is why you host the show, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the the if there's a um, there's a reference in the the film to the Grizzly Flats Railroad, and if you go to the Main Street Railroad station, on the lower level is a uh, a train bulletin and a train schedule that talks about one of the train trains going to Grizzly Flats. Did you know I was going to bring this up and you looked that up? Or did you just pull that out of your head now? Listen, I didn't uh, I didn't date very much in high school so or college. That's impressive. Or, or law school. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but I dig that, man. I dig those two. I love the the relatively obscure references cuz I'm going to I'm going to probably guess that most people listening have probably not seen or possibly even heard of those. So I love the fact that you got those, that you put the, that that you snuck in too. That's nice because you're right. <laughs> but listen, learn from the master because I'm going to sneak in three oh, <laughs> for, for my next. Oh man! Because they all they, they really do all go together. And mm. I thought about this in reverse. I didn't think about the film. I thought about the location, and the location brought me from one to the next to the next. And the location is one that is so dear to my heart, uh, and it's the Imagination Pavilion in Epcot Center. And believe it or not, and I know that we all wish we could snap our fingers and bring back the original Journey into Imagination with Figment and Dreamfinder, but currently, the current attraction actually makes reference to a number of relatively new and somewhat older Disney films, and they are Flubber from 1997, mm-hmm. which was a remake of The Absent-Minded Professor from 1961, mm-hmm. and there's also a reference to the computer wore tennis shoes. So if you go into the queue, currently as we're recording this, um, you'll see a small <laughs> yellow robot whose name is Weebo, 
And that little female robot was the assistant to Professor Philip Brainerd in the film Flubber. So you hear Philip Brainerd throughout the, the Imagination Institute. Flubber was obviously a remake of the 61 movie of The Absent Minor Professor. And you'll hear references to that because if you go down the hallway, you'll see some of the um, the original deans and some of the inventors like Eugene Higgins, and the, who's the dean of Medfield College. Medfield College was the setting for a lot of movies in the 60s, including, wait for it, The Absent-Minded Professor and The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes. But wait, there's more. Because just before you get into the sound room, if you look, you, again, the, the way to find the hidden treasures hiding in plain sight is not to look where the attraction is directing you to look. So look off to the right-hand side to the computer room and you'll see um, outside the room there is a, a college uh, like a letterman's jacket with the letter M for Medfield College and on the floor is a pair of red shoes with the, and a sign that says no tennis shoes allowed the computer wore tennis <laughs> shoes drop the mic walk off stage <laughs> <laughs> isn't wait isn't there a third isn't there a third scientist that's featured in that queue uh dean finder not Zelensky? wayne Zelensky. yeah he's in there right yeah uh so there it's, it's, there's dean finder there's wayne i don't remember all the doors dean finder <laughs> wayne Zelensky. <laughs> but yeah obviously dean finder uh, referencing uh our, our good old friend not that he's old well he's kind of old the dream finder you know, actually, Gosh, bring him back. You may well. You made me think of something, and I know this isn't a film, but it, it's a. You know, if you look at it fast enough, if you read it quick enough, it could seem like a film in your head. Marvel did a really great job on putting out a, a Figment comic. Yeah, which, which it just came out hardcover a couple of months ago, so you can get it all in one little bundle uh, through Amazon and whatnot. And I can't, I cannot think that they did that story. And introduced the Dreamfinder as a younger Dreamfinder and reintroduced Figment in such a medium if they don't have some sort of plan for those characters in the future. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a total guess. It's, you know, total, you know, just off the top of my head. But I think that's another great way for people to get maybe familiar with Figment, who's a, that's a tough character to really get anything on nowadays. Uh, so that, that would also be something that can go along with that. You know, if you watch a movie, read a comic book. Why not? I like they it. All... I like, I like this, the synergy that you're doing. And you know what, too? I think you should also watch those films. Again, we're talking, as long as we're sort of mentioning actors, Computer War Tennis Shoes, not only do you have Kurt Russell, you got Cesar Romero. You've got oh, the real Joker. In there, right? <laughs> uh, Fred McMurray, the Disney legend, was in Absent-Minded Professor. And mm -hmm. Robin Williams was obviously the star of Flubber. Yeah, and I mean, Kirk Douglas, you can always just make a lateral over to 20,000 Leagues. Because oh. anytime you can throw in 20,000 Leagues is. <laughs> I thought that's where you, I thought you were going. I thought you were, uh, you were segueing to, to 20,000. No, because I wish I could, but yeah. there's no reason. There's no reason. <laughs> there's no reason anymore, except for a, a very well hidden uh, Nautilus on the queue for Little Mermaid. And my ability to do James Mason. That was supposed to. That was supposed to be James was, Mason, by the way. Ladies and gentlemen, James Mason is not. Is is not. I'm not sure which tonight. one I like. It which better, my James Mason or my uh, Samuel L. Jackson? Do is where is my super suit? I. You know what? I'll go with the where's my super suit. Yeah. Okay. Let's. I'll move go on. with that let's, one. Let's move on. <laughs> well, uh, let's. Uh, you know what? 
here's an interesting thing. I want to stay in Epcot, but when I say this movie, it's not going to make any sense. But if you look at it, just a step further, because you know what? Marketing the word Epcot is kind of hard. I think that a very big Disney film just recently came out, even though it was marketed terribly. We're not going to get into that. I want to talk about Brad Bird's Tomorrowland. Mm. Now, Brad Bird's Tomorrowland, I know it's titled Tomorrowland, but everything about that film is Epcot. And it's Epcot in the way that Walt saw it. It was, you know, a a city of tomorrow and all the smartest people coming together and working really hard to make things better. And it lived off of the idea of optimism, which uh, Brad Bird was, was giving an interview about the film or maybe it was on the DVD that I, the Blu-ray I was listening to recently. And he said, you know, when I was growing up, the world had a lot of terrible things going on, you know, in the 60s, Vietnam, the Vietnam War, uh, the, you know, the, the racial uh, heights that this country was going through. But we still thought that at the end of the day, things are going to get better. And modern day, that belief doesn't sit as as much we we have almost like an obsession with apocalyptic things i mean we we were talking before you know walking dead you know it's a show everyone loves i mean i even like it i read the comic for for years and tomorrowland is all about that trying to bring back that optimism back that old school optimism that maybe we could use a little bit of but tomorrowland the film while it does that and it's called tomorrowland again it's very very epcot and when you watch it it's almost like if Walt would have had his way, uh, you know, before he passed, uh, or, you know, before his time, in my opinion, and all that, who knows what Epcot would look like now? You know, it was the city of tomorrow. Now it's the theme park of today. And would it have gone to certain, you know, lengths and whatnot to have its own kind of vibe to it? You know, when if you ever would have visited and all that, all that kind of stuff. So I think that watching this movie gives you almost an alternate history of what the park could have been. But at the same time, it delivers the message of Epcot and what should be the the message of Tomorrowland and Magic Kingdom. Currently, that message is kind of hard to suss out uh, in its current state. I, I do think that'll get fixed eventually. I think they have a lot of other stuff on their plate, though. And you get so much. You get the World's Fair. You get, you know, a small world. You do see uh, Space Mountain, actually, in, as one of the buildings in Tomorrowland. And you get a lot that, unfortunately, was left on the cutting room floor, it, it, including the inclusion of Walt. I mean, Walt is never actually really directly mentioned except for in the beginning. But there's stuff that was cut out of there that was in trailers where, you know, they referenced directly Disney's Tomorrowland. Oh, the, you know, things like the theme park and blah, blah, blah. And that's all missing from it. But what still remains is the idea of what Walt originally had for Epcot. And I think that if you watch that film and then go to Epcot and look, maybe go on the TTA and look at the old model of Epcot, it's going to look real familiar when you think of the skyline of Tomorrowland. Yeah, and I think, you know, while Tomorrowland might not have been the commercial and or critical success that maybe some people might have hoped for, I think if you love the message, you'll love the movie, right? So if you are that sort of, if you do have that optimistic philosophy, and I love, by the way, how they were tying this back to D23 Expo and the optimist and that whole sort of immersive type online, offline game 
that they were doing. But I think you're right. I, I, again, we're talking about Walt. We're talking about Walt's optimistic philosophy of the future, not just in terms of technology, but you know, culturally and socially and politically and everything else. And I, I think that's what Epcot and Tomorrowland. I think that's what you know Disneyland was meant to embody. Sort of a you know a happier time, a happier place for everybody. Also, what I dig about this, not just Brad Bird, but I love this is where the nerd in me comes out, the lost <laughs> connection, because you got Damon Lindelof yeah. and Michael Giacchino on them. Anything yeah. by Michael <clears throat> Giacchino, I'm in. Yeah. You know what's strange though? Yeah, it didn't make up it didn't do well financially. Um and I actually think that Damon Lindelof's name attached to it, people bring in certain things now. Now they, they think of Lost and they're like, okay, what's going to happen at the end? There's <laughs> right. going to be like this crazy ending. And it wasn't. It was it was an adventure film. It was a very simple adventure film. And I, I think that they they showed it to us as Disney fans initially as, hey, come over here. This is going to be a big thing for you fans because this is going to you know, it's gonna connect into the parks and it's going to have a real impact. But the edited version that came up on screens really doesn't have that. So you have to remember that and just kind of take the movie for what it is. And I, I, think, I think people had a lot of trouble putting the anticipated product in front of them mm -hmm. and not what they had hoped for. Right. You know, I'm sorry, the final product in front of them and accepting it for what it was, as opposed to what they had hoped for initially when this film was being so built up. But if you just watch it as an optimist film, which is rare nowadays, it's mm -hmm. nice to see it. You know, I wish it would come around more often. And I am a person who enjoys darker films, but this movie really, really struck a chord with me in a very positive way, as Brad Bird films, you know, do. You know, if you haven't seen Iron Giant, wow. Um, <laughs> get it? I mean, get it. Just go and get it. <laughs> Stop what you're doing. Go just yeah. go buy it. Well, after the show. And then, you know, go <laughs> off and... But, yeah, the, my, the, my next one was tomorrow. And this actually really was one of the first ones I thought of uh, very early in the process. I thought that this, this belonged on this list. You know, I, I love how our... Our, our lists are somewhat different, but the, the themes and the reasoning behind it uh, are still very similar. And the next one on my list, I wasn't plan, planning on framing it this way, but I will sort of tie it back to Walt again. And Walt's, you know, I think one of the things that, that Walt had that I loved, I think so many of us as Disney fans, we don't just love the castle and the Dumbo and the princesses and the food. I think that there is there, there's a, a core set of, of values and ideals that we all kind of share. And this next attraction was one that was literally, sorry, figuratively built on that. <laughs> Not literally. It was figuratively built on those principles of family values and being a good husband and, and being a good father and, you know, oh. living with... When I say living with the land, I don't mean the attraction. I mean living with and on and, and with respect <clears throat> of the land because the attraction I'm talking about is the Swiss Family Robinson. And the Swiss Family Robinson <clears throat> was based on the 1960 film, but more importantly, it was based on the book from 1812 by Johann David Weiss. And, the, and what I mean about... The the you know the family values was he really wrote this book for his kids. He wrote it for his four sons. Actually, he, one of his sons 
edited it. One of his sons illustrated it, but it really was to teach his kids a lesson about family values. It was to teach him about the important things in life. And that obviously translated into the 1960s film. And look, I am one of the people that hopes and believes and wishes that the Swiss family treehouse in Adventureland never gets touched. It's elegant and beautiful in its simplicity. And I actually did an entire show, an entire Disney scene investigation on this back on show 233 um, that you can go. You can find it on iTunes or on the site and listen to because we talk about the details. right? We talked about the people that worked on it, like Bill Martin and, and just, you know, the artistry that he brought to this a- attraction. And, you know, Wooly Reitherman, who you know, worked on the film. He he worked in the film and he worked on the attraction too. But uh, I love, first of all, I love the film, right? And, and I love trying trying to get children, you know, now <laughs> in 2015 to watch a film that's 40, 50 some odd years old, uh, which, you know, they're like, oh gosh, an old movie, but it's not because I think the the story still holds up and it's not, a super special effect kind of thing. But I think it's, like we said, it, it's a great family film. Um, and I think that the references to the film go beyond just the attraction itself, right? And, and I love sort of pointing out the family crest for people and and showing people the benches nearby, uh, near Aloha Isle and, and Bawana Bob's. But if you also go over to... The Jungle Cruise, and I talk about this on the show and, and in the audio tours, you can see references to the films. You can see references to people like Tommy Kirk, to Johann David Weiss. You can see references to James MacArthur. Book him, Dano. I know I'm showing my age. <laughs> he was Danny Williams from Hawaii Five O, and there's a, uh, a, a somewhat obscure reference to him, not by the Treehouse, but by the Jungle Cruise. And this actually... Well, there is another connection to previous films we talked about. I mean, John Mills, yeah. uh, father of Haley Mills, you know, is a star in this. And I, I think this is a this is a really great. This was originally on my list, and then I realized I haven't seen this in so long. I don't want to bring it up and then be like, <laughs> I got nothing. But I, I think it. I think everything you said is right. The morals of the film are something that are very uh, tied into Disney and Walt Disney World in particular. And this this is something that I think enhances the ride. Like before I was saying, most of the attractions, if you're not familiar with the property itself, you're still going to get everything you want out of it. Well, I think that this was Family Robinson House. This is specifically one attraction where if you are aware of the film, you're going to get a lot more out of this attraction Mm -hmm. because there's going to be things that you can point at and say, oh, I remember that. Oh, I remember that. And, you know, you were saying it's an old film and it is tough to get people to sit down, but there's something about the genre of shipwrecked or, you know, Martian wrecked uh, <laughs> things that it, that story always can grasp onto people as long as they just let those cells walk into the door. I, I think that, you know, people would be surprised as to how well this film still works. Yeah. And, you know, as long as we're talking about the actors, too, this was sort of a, a who's who to a certain degree of Disney actors, um, Moochie, was it Kevin Corcoran, who just literally passed away um, a, a few days ago. Uh, Kevin Corcoran was in this, and you probably know him from 
Mickey Yeller. Mouse Club, Old Yeller, Pollyanna, <laughs> Toby Tyler. I mean, the list goes on and on in terms of uh, roles that he had, not just for Disney, but as well. But Tommy Kirk was also in this too. And Tommy Kirk was, again, he was in, you know, so many uh, roles for Disney, including, um, you know, Spin and Marty and, and Mickey Mouse Club and and also Old Yeller. Um, he was supposed to be, act- they were actually both supposed to be in the um, the Oz movie, the Rainbow Road the Oz movie that was never made, that Disney mm. was supposed to do. I kind of wish they would take another shot at that with a little less, uh, I don't know. <laughs> a little less Sam Raimi oh, uh, oh, maybe <laughs> maybe that isn't exactly the best film for that man to be directing uh, you know just because it's a Darby O'Gill reference we do have Janet Monroe <laughs> also in the film because again anywhere I can bring up Darby O'Gill when you said I'm a little less to. I thought you'd say a little less James Franco and I was like oh uh, yes please <laughs> you know what you know he can he's great when he's just being James Franco. Uh, but, you know, then again, uh, what was that, 27? Nope. I forgot the title of the film. Where he plays the uh, hiker who gets his arm stuck in the rock all of a sudden I'm blank in the Danny Boyle film. He is magnificent in that. But again, he's, it's as if, you know, James Franco is stuck in a cave. So, um, yeah, unfortunately that movie didn't work. I, I don't know. Uh, if, I, here's a, If you had that film and returned to Oz in front of you and you were planning on sleeping that night, which one would you lean towards? Uh, well, wait, wait, wait. Am I am I trying to fall asleep watching him try and play Harry Osborne, or am I falling asleep? Are, are we still talking about James Franco, or are we back to to Moochie and Tommy Kirk? I think we you know what we're we're off the map. I was thinking of that terrifying Oz film that Disney released, yeah. in the eighties, which I remember watching that as a kid and saying, "I don't want to watch this anymore." The Wiz, come on, the Wiz was the best remake. The Wiz was something. They're he's making on a down remake the road, of that. baby. Come on. It's coming back out on TV, just in case you all forgot what that was. <laughs> so, come on, man. It's, it's your lucky Jackson. day. <laughs> Nobody Can't beats the Diana Wiz. Ross. Nobody. Nobody. Beats well. That's a that's an that's a that's an obscure Jersey reference. Yeah, that's a New York, New Jersey reference right there. It's a deep cut. <laughs> All right, so uh, I think after that, um, I think you are next. If you have any more, uh, I do, I do, and um, you know what? Let, let's get into one of the more obvious ones. But as I was saying before, this is probably, I guess, the most obvious one. But it, it does have that rare distinction of being the attraction that inspired a film, that then went back and inspired the attraction, and still does. You know, with every consecutive release, which. Quality isn't really following every consecutive release, but Pirates of the Caribbean, I think, is one of the really one of the most fun. The original, the 2003 one, uh, one of the most fun, well put together, fast paced, well acted, funny action films ever. And this this movie beautifully, you know, brought you into that attraction. And when you really think about it, the entire Pirates of the Caribbean franchise was solely kind of kicked off by the opening animatronic of, you know, the, the pirate at the wheel of the ship. Mm-hmm. I don't, does he have actually a specific name, Lou? I'm sure you would know. Uh, Bob. Is it? Okay. No. There you go. <laughs> <No>. um, <laughs> we shall call him Bob. But I mean, if you really think of it, that's where the plot from Pirates of the Caribbean really started was on that, that one shot of an undead pirate, you know, at the wheel of his ship. 
And this is another attraction that if you're familiar with Captain Jack and Barbosa, this enhances that ride now. I, I don't think that the story is too difficult to follow. I don't know if it's as clear or interesting as it could be with the with the interact with the addition of Captain Jack. But if you're familiar with the films and you know these characters and you know you know Blackbeard from the opening and Davy Jones and you're familiar with the the mermaids from the later films, this is all little stuff that you're gonna get a real big kick out of. And even even more so you're going to get a big kick out of all the great little references that are in the film that first appeared in the attraction. You know, the the whistling of the dog with the keys and the parrot saying dead men tell no tales. This is all stuff that you're going to latch onto and know that this film is specifically looking at you and saying, come on, we're going to have some fun. Uh, that being said, I haven't been a huge fan of the later ones. I feel that uh, Jack has become more lucky on accident as opposed to acting stupid on purpose because he knows exactly what's going on. He's basically the Columbo of pirates <laughs> and they don't let him do that as much anymore. And there's always two moments that I, I really remember in the film is when him and Will steal the ship and Will says they're coming for us. Johnny Depp just turns to the camera and gives you the sly smile and he's not acting like Captain Jack at that particular moment because he doesn't have to. This is a specific moment for the audience to say, Oh, this guy knows exactly what he's doing. He's not dumb. He's just acting dumb because then it tricks everyone else. And then the later is when he shoots Barbosa. If you ever go back and watch that film, watch that scene where Johnny Depp shoots Barbosa and the camera cuts back to him. His face is so dead serious mm -hmm. because he knows I just won. And I, I miss those moments. I hope they come back. But going back to what we were talking about, sorry, that was a huge segue. I, I think that this is a film that it not only helps you enhance the ride, it helps the, the ride enhances the, the film itself. It's really hand in hand. It's the best they've done yet. And I, I hope that they top it just because it that means that they would have done a great job. I know the Jungle Cruise is something that's coming out. Mm -hmm. If that, that could be a lot of fun. Again, you know, we're hoping for a haunted mansion with Guillermo del Toro directing it. But for now, I think our best example of this is Pirates of the Caribbean. I think you're right. And I think... Two, you have to remember, <clears throat> excuse me, when, when the first film came out, at that time, Pirates of the Caribbean was basically a classic Disney dark ride, right? It was the, the must-do attraction. It had been there forever. What I think it did, I think what I think the film did was gave incredible new life and attention to that attraction for people, especially for kids whose now their connection to Pirates of the Caribbean may very well have come from the film to the attraction as opposed mm -hmm. from the attraction to the film. So when people were talking about, well, they're putting Johnny Depp in here, should he really be in the attraction? Yeah, because that's the connection point for so many people who saw the film and then felt compelled, hey, we need to go to Disney World, we need to go to Disneyland and ride the attraction. And had Johnny Depp not been there, they would have been disappointed. And I don't think he disrupts the integrity of the story or the no, attraction not at, all. at all. Not at all, no. It, they really fit it in there really well. It's moments that when he pops up, you know, the, the, the final scene uh, excluded, because I remember there was just a locked room though. The scenes where they do insert him, nothing overly memorable and classic was going on. It's not like they took out the auctioneer, you know, and then, and then inserted, you know, 
uh, Captain Jack. That would have driven everyone out of their minds. You know, they, they did it at the right moments of the ride where they were like, hey, if we pep this in over here, it's going to up it. You know, this little slow moment. We're going to get a little more excitement going on here. Yeah. And man, we're, we're you know, this I, I'm loving doing this because and I have so many more movies on my list that I would I love too. to hit. Um, I think we'll have to sort of hit them rapid fire. Um, All right. Yeah. Because there's a bunch. But but there is one I'm going to mention. And uh, and I'm going to mention this one because I want to talk about it for a minute or two specifically. And it may be one. And just to use a fosterism, I need you to go with me here and understand why I'm going to tell you in October 2015 to watch this film. And the film I want you to go and watch is Avatar. And I need you to go see Avatar, especially if you're one of these people who's saying, I'm not going to go to Avatar land and Animal Kingdom. I have no desire to see that. I didn't see the movie. I didn't like the movie. It was too violent of the movie. What I need you to do is I need you to watch this movie not for, look, you could watch it on mute for all I care. And maybe, and I say it all the time. Probably a better idea. If I had the time and talent to take this seven hour movie, however long it is, it's 160 <laughs> some odd minutes. If I could edit it down and cut it down just to let people watch, not the story, not the military stuff, not the technology, I want them to see the environment. I want them to see what this world of Pandora is going to look like because I think that might change people's opinion of what the world of Pandora at Disney's Animal Kingdom is going to be. And when I just came back from Expo a couple of months ago and I saw the model and I saw the mock-ups, all of a sudden I also saw people changing their tune. They're going, wow, this is beautiful, right? And so to go there and to see you know, these bioluminescent lights and these magnificent floating islands and the trees and what it's going to look like in the evening. I think this land is going to make Animal Kingdom or help make Animal Kingdom the not a park to go to at night. It is going to be the park to go to at night because I think the film itself, taking all the other stuff out, is visual. It's stunning. I mean, and let's not forget, too, it's also still, I believe, the highest grossing film in film history. Um, For the next two months. <laughs> until... In- yep, that's going to fall. It's got to fall. No, I, I am hand in hand with you on this one. I think that it's not a great movie. Okay, that that's right. not even to be argued. It's not a great movie. But if you want to talk about a movie that creates an atmosphere and creates a world that seemed that you want to visit that is visually appealing... There is there, this film is amazing. Then it turns into an amazing film, and even if you don't still like the movie and whatever, you have to think also use a couple of examples of of things you already know. Where how familiar are you with the property of Song of the South? Do you enjoy uh, Splash Mountain? Mm-hmm. And then even more so, Pixar's not one of their brightest moments is not really Cars. It's not overly great. It's really Doc Hollywood with CG. Don't watch Doc Hollywood. It's not that great. Um, oh, I love Doc Hollywood. All right. It's better than Cars. Is that, can, we, can we go with that? I love um, Cars too, but that's all right. So, but if you can then tell me that you have no interest in visiting Cars Land after, you know, if, even if you haven't been there like mm-hmm. myself, you're just missing out. So I'm with you. I think that Avatar is going to be one of the most visually appealing uh, places that they've ever created. And if, you know what? I'm going to I'll throw in just right right on top of yours just a really quickie. 
if you're not familiar with what a lightsaber is, <laughs> get familiar. I did put Star Wars on this list. It's going to dominate almost a third yeah. of Hollywood studios, folks. And it's going to be fun. And I, I really hope that as many people as possible uh, come back in. And, and let's be clear. Pete, let's be clear. When you say Star Wars, you obviously mean episode four, five, six. I do. Okay. Although I, I am torturing myself <laughs> this weekend. I'm watching one, two and three in succession and doing, uh, uh, you know, a, a background track for for one of our other shows. So, you know, pray for me, I guess, really is like the best <laughs> no, thing. Look, I, I get it. And look, I, you know, like every other kid that grew up watching Star Wars, when they announced episode one, I, I cried. I was there on opening. Like, I wanted to love that movie more than anything. I still have boxes of collectibles from Midnight at Toys R Us, which will probably go up on eBay soon. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I tried to like it. And then episode two, I'm like, what? Trade? Fa what, is, what, what are they talking? Newt Gunray? Yeah. What's a Newt? Yeah. That being said, I think that you're right, and I will tell you that uh, my son and I actually just watched four, five, and six in, in succession. Um, he was homesick, and I was homesick, and I'm like, "Hey, man, let's do it! <laughs> you know, let's have a Star Wars marathon." And you're right; it, it does get you excited for the new movie that's coming out, and more importantly, for the new land that's going to be here in uh, in the next few years. So. Uh, I think it's it's cool that you and brilliant that you put Star Wars on the list. Uh, all right, a couple other quick ones that, that yeah, I do want to mention. Okay. Um, I think that you should go and watch Sword in the Stone. Um, it's a 1963 yeah. film. Um, while the attraction is no longer there, I will guarantee that you, the listener, have walked up to the sword in the stone in the center of Fantasyland and tried to pull it out. And maybe you, the listener, remembers from 1994 to 2006 when Merlin the Magician was there and he put on a show... And he might have given you one of the, the temporary ruler of the realm necklaces if you were able to pull it out. And maybe you, the listener, look down at the pavement and imagine a bird's eye view and notice that the pavement is actually shaped like a giant sword. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> and, and wait, I forgot. This way, when you go to play Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom, you, you know, know who Merlin who the guy is. is. <laughs> How have you done at that game? Not well. Neither have I. I'm terrible <laughs> at it. Not well. I think I just like collecting the cards. So, <laughs> um, you know, let me let me jump onto your back a little bit. Another attraction that everyone likes to go to, but I don't know if anyone's ever watched the movie Three Caballeros. Nice, uh, absolutely hysterical. Tons of great music in it. Go watch it. it. You can rent. I think it's available on Netflix. And if it wasn't, it was recently on. Uh, Turner Movie Classics. So you never know. Keep your eye open for that one as well. Um, um, do you want to shoot another quickie? Yeah, because this one almost was very high on my list um, because we could talk about this one a lot. And I think that you need to go and watch and sing this. Come on, you know the words. Davy Crockett, King of oh, the Wild yeah. Frontier. Yeah. Right? It was a. Uh, it was actually, and I think a lot of people don't realize, it was actually uh, a TV miniseries that they eventually sort of put together as a, as a film, sort of a, a compilation of the first three stories, uh, Indian Fighter, uh, I think it was at the Alamo, and um, when he goes to Congress. But look, I mean, it was 
the Star Wars of the 50s, right? It was a phenomenon. It was a merchandising explosion. You could they could not make coonskin hats fast enough. It created <laughs> it made the 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 frontier western genre, I think as as popular as it was. It led in so many direct and indirect ways to the creation of Frontierland and Davy Crockett's Explorer Canoes and Crockett's Tavern and if actually if you go back to show 145 I did I had to I did a ser- a segment that was supposed to be a series it was the only one I did called uh the Disney Character Connection where we connected Davy Crockett to all the places you could find him throughout Walt Disney World and I think again that was show uh that 145 but I think Davy Crockett and again you've got Fess Parker and Buddy Ebsen but uh, and it has a connection to Walt, right? Walt loved uh, American mm-hmm. history. Yeah, I mean that's pretty much your frontier land. Yeah, in a lot of ways, it's the backbone of the entire frontier land, and it's something that maybe has gotten a little lost to time. And I don't think that it's. I think it's still viable. I think you can sit down and watch it, and you're going to still dig it. And you know, I think Davy Crockett for some people, like Walt Disney, they're like, well, is he a folk hero or a that's fake a hero? Great like, point. Yeah, that's a he's great he was point. a real. I mean, he was a sort of a, a hero of his generation. Yet the myth became more attractive than the reality. And then maybe the myth took over a little bit so much that people mistaked it for myth. Yeah. Uh, I, I only have, you know what, I, I want to just throw in one other. This is another documentary. And I think that it ties into a lot of the films that maybe a lot of our listeners, a lot of your listeners, I apologize, um, were – Growing up, Disney, which is, you know, that Disney renaissance, Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Lion King, Beauty and the Beast, you know, the times before that time were not great. There were pretty dark times in the studio and there was a lot that happened that had to happen that spurred on that new wave of creativity and creators. And the documentary 2009, Waking Sleeping Beauty, which is actually done by Don Hahn, you know, a, a Disney legend in his own right, he's actually the one who put this all together. And what's great is that it's used out of a lot of old footage that the creators themselves, you know, made. You know, they they were just, they were so jazzed to be working for Disney, they would film themselves. And this is always, for me, the most interesting type of documentary when, you know, you're watching a video clip of somebody entering the animation building and then you learn that John Lasseter is the guy holding the camera. Right. <laughs> you know, like your your mind just is like, oh, my God, is that that's been happening the whole time? So I, I think that this is mandatory watching for Disney fans. And then it informs you so much about the films that are very heavily in the park. You know, everyone screams that Frozen's getting an attraction, but mm. uh, Beauty and the Beast has almost an entire section of Fantasyland dedicated to it. There's meet and greets for them. It's a stage show. Aladdin has a ride that makes no sense where it is, but, you know, it's there. It's great. <laughs> they have a meet and greet as well. Uh, Little Mermaid has, you know, again, the expansion of Fantasyland. Uh, I believe a stage show that maybe won't be there very much longer in Hollywood Studios. Was that part of What's Going Away, Lou? Do you remember? Uh, you know, we, we eventually, we, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. It hasn't been said, but yes, eventually that, that will go the way of the dodo. Uh, you know, these, this is such a massively important time for the Disney company and waking sleeping beauty is a, a really fine documentary that gives you a lot of info on the people who were behind all that. And just as Walt is obviously vitally important to the park that we all enjoy now, if it wasn't for all the people that work under Walt who actually put pen to paper, 
you wouldn't have all that you get to enjoy as well. So they deserve credit uh, just as much as everybody else. And Waking Sleeping Beauty is a really fascinating look behind the doors of Disney, which classically is very, very shut door. To your point, um, I will see you Waking Sleeping Beauty and I will raise you the boys. The Sherman Oh, Brothers. very good. Yeah. Stole one. Yeah. yeah. So I wasn't thinking documentary, but when you said that, again, I think there's a little bit, I, actually, I know that there's a little bit of poetic license in that, uh, in terms of the uh, the angst and the relationship between the two. Maybe not as much as, it, as it, it's seen in there, but it still is a fascinating look at the personal and professional life of, uh, of Richard and Robert Sherman. But I will, uh, I'm going to drop just a couple of other quick ones uh, on here because it's what I do. Uh, the first one is Melody Time from uh, 1948. It is one of those um, animated features that is made up of a number of different little segments. And the reason why I want you to watch Melody Time is for my pal and yours, Pecos Bill. Um, you can really understand what how, how you Pecos Bill's right talk, tall tale in and cafe is, and why it's there. And again, too, you've got you know the guys that work like you know Sears and Hibbler and Ken Anderson, and we're on it. Uh, the other ones I, I want you to go and watch are uh, fun and fancy free, uh, mm-hmm. because in there you'll have Mickey and the Beanstalk, which you'll also see reference to in the um, in Fantasyland in Sir Mickey's along with The Brave Little Tailor, which Beautiful is a short store. from 1938. So I snuck like two and three in there. So, um, and there, so yeah, Brave Little Tailor, um, you know, and you, you, I think you also watch Mickey and the Beanstalk too. Some of mm-hmm. the shorts uh, are definitely worth seeing. Absolutely. And that's that's another, you know, a lot of the, the Mickey shorts, not very, you know, available nowadays for yeah. people. So they're they're hard to get they're hard to get a, a handle on. Uh, I do have one more, but I want it to be uh, going to be like thirty seconds, and it'll be after you. Do you what else do you have there? Seven more? <laughs> no, that's it. Go ahead. It's all okay. You. The last one uh, I just want to say this is one that you can find a little easier. Uh, currently, is the Reluctant Dragon. Nice. This is another kind of look uh, peek behind the the curtain. Uh, a very you know fanciful you know one, but. A very cool one because you you get a look at the Disney Studios at a time of a lot of angst. Mm-hmm. But you, if you have your eyes open, you're going to see Fred Moore. You're going to see Ward Kimball. You're going to see an early version of Captain Hook and a maquette and uh, in a concept drawing of Mad Hatter up on the wall. This all took place during 1941. So there's a lot of stuff that hasn't you know come out yet. Dumbo was being produced. When you get to see Walt in this film, he's a very young Walt. And it's really great seeing him. Basically in his prime, you know, really firing on all cylinders as he seemed to all the ways. But to tie back into what we very first talked about, the man that leads you through this whole thing is Robert Benchley, who is the grandfather of Peter Benchley, who wrote Jaws. And that oh, is the first film you. I brought up today. Look at you bringing it all the way around full circle. It all it begins and ends with Jaws, man. <laughs> Begins and ends with Jaws and Quint and everything. Well done. You know, the same way that I can bring food into uh, into every conversation, you brought it back to Jaws. And look, you know, there are, obviously, there are a lot of other films that you should go. Look, I, I mean, we could have put, you know, all dozen great movie ride film sequences in there. Yeah. You should see Footlight Parade and Public Enemy and, you know, Casablanca and Fantasia because they're in there and I think you'll have a better understanding and appreciate of it but the list is not 
exhausted, exhaustive, but um, this will definitely keep you busy for a while if, yeah. you, uh, <laughs> if you go out. And I'm actually curious, Pete, I'm curious as to how many people have seen any or all of these movies. And hopefully, look, the, the point of this segment is to not only introduce people to it, but hopefully inspire people to say, hey, you know what? Let me go and see. Let me go and see if I can find Johnny Tremaine. Or let me sit down with my kids and watch Swiss Family Robinson. Let's have, you know, Disney Family Movie Night. And instead of watching, you know, Toy Story 3 for the 8,000th time, let's watch, you know, one that maybe we <laughs> haven't seen before. Well, you know, if you had to pick one to start you off on, on the numerous films that we said tonight, where, where do you think you would start off? Is this for me or like um, like if I was watching with my family? Watching with your family. I think it would probably be either Swiss Family Robinson or Summer Magic. Uh, yeah, I would say Summer Magic, I think, is the first one that pops in my head. Maybe that's what I need to do. Maybe I should ask you, the listener, to make it a point to go and watch Summer Magic. Right, it's it's from 1960. I'm not sure if it's available. On you can re- you can rent it on iTunes and Amazon.com. Okay. It's 3.99. It's it's five four dollars. Very very well spent. I would love for you, the listener, to watch Summer Magic alone with your friends, family, whatever it may be, and then either tweet me at Lou Mangello or Facebook.com/slash/LouMangello or call the voicemail at 407-900-9391, and I want to know. What do you thought? Give me your uh, your quick review. I'd love to hear it, and I'll play it on the air if you leave uh, a voicemail. Pete, this was a lot of fun, man. I uh, I, I really really dig doing dig doing this with you tonight. We'll have to do <laughs> another uh, film related um, uh, segment in the future. And I want to thank you, by the way, because you had me on your podcast. Uh, gosh, I don't even know how long ago uh, that was. This about a month, maybe a, maybe a month, month and a half ago, I would say. I don't even remember what we talked about. <laughs> oh, I know what we talked about. We we went into the rabbit hole that was, hey, let's just talk about what happened at D23. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So We emerged from the other side of that tunnel. You yeah, know. but that was a lot of fun, though. But you, you do a number of different podcasts. And if you go to Last Gen, G-E-N, podcast, that'll take you to the film basement. You also do a Disney Magic Hour podcast and... You got lots of stuff going on there. Yeah, we we do two podcasts again at lastgenpodcast.com. And I, I just a full disclosure, the film basement is for mature audiences only. If you're a kid and I wouldn't do it, it's a lot of blue language. It, as in like Mel Brooks blue, um, George Carlin blue. But that that's more of a, a just a focus on film. We usually review the latest movies that came out and whatnot, and it it's a very uh odd show. Uh, the, the show more akin to the audience that's listening right now, Disney Magic Hour. Now, I always say I can never do what Lou does. Um, I would never be better at what he does than what he does. So I we start we tried to attempt that in the beginning, and then I was like, you know what, this is silly. We're we're movie people. <laughs> we should focus on movies. So I don't remember which episode it is. It's right around like the fifteen or sixteen mark. We started going back from the very beginning from Snow White, and we're going to work our way all the way up, and we do a look back on every Disney animated film and the live action films that have a connection to the parks, even if it's an extinct attraction, because there's no way I'm doing this show without 20,000 leagues. (laughs) So I was like, no, I don't care. I'll break the rules. This is what we're doing. Uh, So that's what we do. We go into it. We take a look at, you know, does it still hold up? 
Is it a morals film or is it uh, an emotional film? And what's the iconic shot of the film? So, and, you know, they usually go about an hour and a half or so. And, uh, and yeah, you can find Lou. We, we did a whole episode on D23 going over that and really going into the speculation, the speculation part of where we think things could go. That's actually episode number 14. So they need to listen to that episode like six years from now and just to see how right or wrong we really were. I, me and me and you, we're gonna butt heads on that release date, the, on that opening park date. I'm telling you right now, they are, they are going to set the land on fire in order to get that thing open. I still believe, but in the year 2018. Hey man, I hope so. The, uh, I, the sooner, I the really sooner do. you bring Star Wars into the parks, the uh, the better. Uh, but yeah, man, this was a lot of fun. I, I really do appreciate you taking the time and coming on and and doing all the research ahead of time. So uh, so plus five sucker points for, for you. <laughs> uh, we'll have to do this uh, again sometime. Again, you the listeners, I want you to go and watch Summer Magic and or tell me what movie we left off the list that you think is a uh, is a must see and maybe even uh, give your uh, give your argument why god we could, we could have even said the muppet movie uh, well, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll see. I well, I think that well, okay. High imagination pavilion. You need <laughs> you need something new, and I know that the Muppets aren't going to be where they are anymore. And Figment maybe needs a new partner. And if I saw the Figment, if I saw Figment together with the Muppets in the Imagination Pavilion, it would officially become one of the must dos in Epcot. And I don't know if Epcot has a can't miss. I know okay. Soren is still excellent. I love it. But uh, you throw that biscuit in front of people and they will eat it up. You ready for this? In the Imagine, Imagination Pavilion, we keep Figment there somehow. We open up that second level again. But if you can somehow have the inside out roller coaster of emotion, I, I love it just for the name. Uh, you, you know what? No, I love it. And if it was an indoor roller coaster, but not in the way of Space Mountain with the very dark, if it was a more of a whimsical, if I can right. use that word, I try a, to a, use that word as much as I can. A Seven Dwarfs Mine Train roller coaster of emotion. Exactly. That, I think it would be a beautiful fit. And I think that Inside Out is a film that will forever work. There is no timestamp on that film. It's a very rare achievement to do that. There's no timestamp on that film. You could show it to an audience in 20 years. That story is going to ring true perfectly. Yeah. And credit to whoever. Somebody said it to me on a live show one night, and I'm like, that's brilliant. So uh, whoever you are, I, I, uh, I totally adopted that from you. So, yeah, Pete, this was a lot <laughs> of fun, man. We'll have to do this again soon. Thank you so much for having me on your show, man. This is like, this is a really big deal. You know, this is a big thing for me. I really, really appreciate it. For our Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history or see how well you pay attention to the details in what you see, and sometimes, like this week, in what you hear. If you think you get the answer right, you can enter via email for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, let's go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week's question was about the Country Bear Jamboree because I love that attraction. I have such great fond memories of going there with my dad who loved that show so much. 
And during the show, we're introduced to Trixie, a very large brown bear that wears a blue bow on her head. She has a blue tutu around her waist. And we're told by our host that she originally hails from a town right here in Florida. And that was your question, was to tell me what town is Trixie originally from? And now, here's a special treat out of Tampa. A little bit of ever-loving, cuddlesome fluff. Our own Trixie. And there you go. You know, the Trixie comes from Tampa. I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one. Remember, you were playing for a WW Radio Magic Band cover and a copy of the 102 Ways to Save Money for an Walt Disney World book and my virtual audio tour of Tomorrowland, all of which you can find in the shop over at www.radio.com. And last week's winner is... Jay Torres. So, Jay, congratulations. Send me your information. I'll send your package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So, in the spirit, pardon the accidental pun, of Halloween this week, I want you to finish this somewhat scary sentence. We find it delightfully unlivable here in this ghostly retreat. Every room has wall-to-wall creeps, and hot and cold running fill in the blank. You have until Sunday, November... This is easy. Come on. You have until Sunday, November 8th. I'm going to be away next week speaking at a conference. I'll give you two weeks to answer this question. You have until Sunday, November 8th at 11.59 p.m. to email your answer to contest at www.radio.com. Again, you're going to get the custom WDW Radio Magic Band cover, the 102 ways to save money at Walt Disney World book, and my Tomorrowland audio walking tour. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. Don't forget our question of the week this week is to tell me what movie do you think that that wasn't maybe on our list you need to watch before you visit Walt Disney World. You can tweet me at Lou Mangiello, facebook.com slash Radio, or call the voicemail. Be heard on the air at 407-900-9391. Also want to say again, quick thanks to some new members of the WW Radio Nation, including Justin J. Clark. Bryce, Sarah Melalu, and Tiffany Mellick. Really appreciate you being part of the nation and the family. And if you want to help support the show and get cool rewards every month, you can visit www.radio.com slash support. A couple of quick announcements. Don't forget, if you have a question you want answered on the show, you can email me, lou at www.radio.com. Also connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, Everything is at Lou Mangiello. And I encourage you to please come by and follow me uh, over on Facebook, facebook.com slash Lou Mangiello. Unfortunately, Facebook does not allow me to accept any more friend requests. But if you follow me there, you do get my updates as well. Would love to interact with you on my personal profile. And I've just started recently broadcasting live to Facebook including the test I did last week during our weekly WW Radio live broadcast every Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern. I'm going to be traveling this week to some pretty cool destinations and on a cruise for a conference. Would love for you to follow me there and watch as I broadcast live. Again, it's facebook.com slash Of course, as much as I love connecting with you online, nothing beats a handshake and a hug. The next meet of the month in Walt Disney World It's going to be Sunday, November 8th. It's the day after the Wine and Dine Half Marathon. So I'm going to give you some time to rest and recover. So we're going to meet in the early afternoon on the Boardwalk over at the Boardwalk Bakery from 1 to 3 p.m. Sunday, November 8th. So if you don't have a park ticket, no worries. 
But if you do and you want to go, maybe all of us will head on over to Epcot for some more food and wine now that you've run it off uh, in advance. Again, Sunday, November 8th. If you visit the events page over at facebook.com slash Radio, you'll find out about other events or at, face- at, at www.radio.com slash events. You could also find out about our Star Wars cruise, our New Orleans meet, our Chicago meetup, and our e-ticket adventure in and from New York on the Disney Magic next year. Also, visit lumangelo.com to find out where I'll be speaking at some other conferences and events and schools uh, throughout the year and throughout the country. And if you'd like me to come to speak at your conference or to your business or to your kid's school, or if I could maybe help you turn your passion into your profession with personal mentoring or some small group coaching, I want to try and help you build your brand and build your business and do what you love and kind of get you from where you are to where you want to be. Visit lumangelo.com and click on the Work With Me tab. Quick thanks, as always, to Mouse Fan Travel. They are my official and recommended travel provider. And huge congratulations to Becky and her team celebrating 10 years of really making magic for their clients, whether they're going to world, land, cruise, adventures by Disney, wherever it may be. Visit mousefantravel.com. And, of course, to get Celebrations Magazine delivered right to your door or your device, visit celebrationspress.com. And as always, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, you guys continue to, to show that to me each and every day and each and every week. All I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. would love it if you tweet out links to the episode you're listening to, share it, and comment over on Facebook. And please come by, rate, and review the show in iTunes. It's really, really helpful, super important. And thanks to you, we have more than a 1,000 five-star reviews. would love to keep them coming. Thanks recent reviewers like Anchor A, Scott, and Jen JP. You can visit uh, iTunes and just search for WW Radio or visit www.radio.com slash iTunes. It'll take you right there. And finally, and most importantly, I want to give you my sincerest thanks once again for taking the time to share a little bit of fun, talking about the things that just make us happy about going to or thinking about Walt Disney World and letting me share my passion for Disney with you. And I hope that you wake up excited and encouraged every single day. Because remember, who's to say that today or tomorrow isn't going to be the day that changes your life for the better? Who's to say it's not going to be the best day of your life ever? Because sometimes amazing and unexpected things happen out of the blue. And uh, if today's not the day, have faith that maybe tomorrow will be even better. I hope you have an amazing, amazing week this week. Hope to see you on Facebook Live, on Twitter, and uh, better yet, in person. Thank you again. See ya. Hi, Lou. This is Rob Benner from California, Maryland. just want to give you a quick call. I'm a little bit out of breath because I just got done running the second annual Tomorrowland race. Uh, just wanted to say thank you. I uh, chose four miles for today's run uh, because I typically run 5K. I'm working my way up toward the half marathon. I'm running the uh, Princess Half Marathon, and I'm doing the Glass Flipper Challenge. My wife is doing the uh, 10K, and I'll be running it with her. But anyway, just want to give you a call, say thank you, and uh, say hello to everybody else. Thanks a lot. We'll see you later. Bye. You've got a friend in me. Yeah. Hurry back. Hurry back. Be sure to bring your death certificate if you decide to join us. Make final arrangements now.
We've been dying to have you. <laughs>